Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? It's Tuesday again, and that means it's time once more for the Plant Apology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general amazingness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide, and as always, I am just so excited to be with you today. This is a good one, my friends. It's such a good one, and uh, I'm excited. This is with an old friend of the show and probably someone that a lot of you listen to on the regular in your podcast rotation. We'll get to that in just a second. So March is a big month in the world of planthropology um, from really amazing guests and then some really cool content that I think you're going to love. I've, you know, obviously been present at these recordings and have listened back through them. And I, I just like you're, you're going to love it. You're going to be love it. It's going to be such a great month. Also, I am so excited to announce a brand new partnership with a great nonprofit organization called Forest Proud. Forest Proud is a nonprofit organization supporting forest climate solutions in a lot of different ways. It's something we've been trying to get done for a few months now, and I'm so excited that it finally worked out. They're going to be a great partner for the show. I love the mission. I love everything that they do and the way that they approach climate solutions and science and communication and everything else. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the mid-roll, but if you're on your phone or on your computer, go ahead and look up at Forest Proud pretty much anywhere on social media, and you can start taking a look at them. Because this is such a big month, uh, ripe with great guests, new partnerships, and a lot of very soon coming milestones for this podcast, which are really exciting to me. I, you know, probably they're probably more exciting to me than they are to you. But we're about to hit some big things, and and I don't want to, uh, I don't know, jinx it, spoil it, or whatever. But I'll talk about it when we get there. But in terms of listenership and the number of downloads and uh, just big milestones on the number of episodes released, just really cool stuff. I would love for you to tell your friends about Planthropology. Go catch up on old episodes if you've sort of been working your way through the back catalog. Um, March could be the month of planthropology for you. And it is for me. Most months are the month of planthropology for me, but spring is starting. There's a lot of new beginnings and a lot of cool stuff happening. So if you've been thinking about getting caught up on the show or telling a friend about planthropology, I would love if you did it this month. This is March, 2022. If you're listening to this in the future time and, uh, you know, if you're listening to this in the future time, go ahead and catch up on the back catalog. There may be, I don't know, 5,000 episodes by now. That's Probably not going to happen, but you know, it may be a ways in the future. You could still tell a friend, you could still support the show, do all the things. But today's episode, again, is one that I'm really, really excited about. If you have been a longtime listener of the show or if you follow on social media, you will probably know Ellen Weatherford, the host of the Just the Zoo of Us podcast, and really, truly one of my favorite people on the planet. We've become such close friends over the past couple of years. I always just cherish getting to talk to Ellen. And we like to laugh together and talk about fun stuff. So we've been trying to figure out how to collaborate more and again. And I think really Ellen came up with the idea that, wait, what if we talked about plant Pokemon with the release of the new game Legends of Arceus uh, that has just come out as we record this not too long ago. And people are still, I think, trying to beat or have just beaten or whatever. I am very much not very far into the game, but we're going to talk about different plant Pokemon their origins, and some of the real-life plants that relate to them. Doesn't that sound fun? I think it does. 
It's going to be a good time. So y'all buckle up, grab a nice bunch of face bananas, and get ready for episode 74 of Planthropology, Grass-type Pokemon, and the real-life plants that inspired them. Then with my friend, Ellen Weatherford. All right. Well, we're back again. It keeps happening. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and I'm here again with Ellen Weatherford, who is one of my favorite humans on the planet. How are you, Ellen? I'm great. That's right, folks. OG listeners of Planthropology will remember almost exactly two years ago yeah. when I was here. So you guys cannot get rid of me. I'm so sorry. It's an infestation at this point. <laughs> so, th- yeah, that was episode like 10. Mm-hmm. Which which was funny because at the time I remember thinking like clearly, oh my gosh, 10 episodes is a lot. I've done it 10 is. of these. Even Man. 10. 10 is a milestone. You know, they, it was. Isn't, isn't that a thing where like they say the vast majority of podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes? I think that's right. 10 or 15 or something like that. Like it, it they don't last a long time. So now here we are and this is episode. I, a I billion. Don't actually, I don't actually know. 70 something, <laughs> maybe 80. Uh, and uh and and we're back again. And um, we were talking a little bit about, you know, how we could work together again. And uh, I got to be on Ellen's podcast, Just the Zoo of Us, not too long ago. It was over the summer, I guess. And uh, I've been wanting to have her back on for a while. And the new Pokemon game just mm-hmm. came out. And I thought, or we thought, I guess we talked about it together. We're this was to a brainstorming session. <laughs> and, and Ellen's probably more of the authority on Pokemon than I am. I keep hitting my desk too. So if you hear weird noises in the background, it's just, I can't sit still. Um, Relatable. (laughs) And so we're going to talk about grass type Pokemon and uh, their real life counterparts. But uh, before we get into it too much, um, you know, and, get through the episode. Ellen, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast and what you do on your show? Yeah, thank you so much. So ours is Just the Zoo of Us. It's about animals, which you may be kind of scratching your head, like why was Vikram on a podcast talking about animals? Um, But we broke form. We did. We diverged from our typical path to talk about plants, which was really fun. It was really cool. I feel like it was really not that much of a a divergence. Uh, Plants actually fit into our typical format pretty well, um, in which we rate animals out of 10 for their physical adaptations, their behavioral uh, strategic ability, I suppose, and their aesthetics, such as how pretty they are and nice they are to look at. Um, so as you can imagine, plants actually fit pretty well into those categories. It it was a pretty seamless transition. And we got to talk about some insects and some of the weird relationships between animals and insects and plants. I mean, animals and plants and mm-hmm. specific insects and plants. And it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, there are some really interesting uh, <laughs> intersections between plant and animal sometimes we talk about like animals on the show that i feel like are really kind of blurring that line between plant Mm -hmm. and animal you know like humans have a tendency to want to put everything into very defined categories and then sometimes you come across something like for me it was like a sponge where it's like you're like "Eh, this one could go either way (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and then like i don't i don't know if y'all have done have y'all done algae that's maybe not, not like a, really. It's not really an animal, but well, it's not really a plant either. So that's the thing. So I 
messaged you in distress recently. <laughs> I was stressed out because I learned that algae is not like mm, technically really a plant. And I was in full bo- full blown meltdown panic <laughs> mode because I have gone around this whole time thinking algae was just plants, but it's not turns out it's, it's, it's kind of its own thing. And I do remember getting a few like caps lock messages. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> what do I do? Uh, <laughs> I'm having a crisis. Um, but that actually leads us pretty well into our episode for today or our topic for today, because in the world of Pokemon. Okay, wait, let me let me let me put a pin in this real quick. Is it Pokemon or Pokemon? Okay, because so you hear it both ways. So I guess if you wanted to be like super authentic about it, it's Pokemon. <laughs> oh. Um the the E with a little accent over it is mm-hmm. Pokemon. Um oh. and sometimes like if you're watching if you're watching like commercials and stuff, because they have to like adhere to brand guidelines and stuff, mm-hmm. you'll hear like announcers will very much enunciate that Pokemon and everyone always laughs because that sounds so goofy. That's just not how we naturally pronounce it in English. Um, But I mean, you know, it comes from Japanese and that is very much how they say it. Uh, Most English speakers just say Pokemon. I, it sounds goofy to say it any other way. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I think, I don't know, growing up, I think I said it, different ways and i watched the the cartoon a lot Mm -hmm. like i said as a i was gonna say as a kid i probably wasn't as young as i think i was in my head (laughs) Um, but i watched it anyway well i watched it as a kid too um and i i fell off watching the cartoon probably like hoen like in like the third generation i Mm -hmm. i really focused on the games after that so i could not tell you a whole lot about the cartoon unfortunately i'm not plugged into that scene oh that's that's okay i have no (laughs) yeah i i'm not i'm certainly not anymore either and we tried to get my son to watch it one time and we got like 20 minutes in he was Mm -hmm. like eh Okay. It requires a lot of background knowledge, I think, because a lot of it is like assuming that you kind of already know a lot about Pokemon. Um, But my my kid likes it. My seven year old likes it. He likes to watch the movies. Okay. Yeah, the movies are so goofy and cheesy. But I will say, (laughs) Detective Pikachu was a pretty cute little movie. Okay. See, I haven't seen that, and I really would like to. Okay, we may have to try again then, because Bradley's six now, and we try. It's it's funny because we tried playing. not the most recent one. What was the what was the one before that? Um, was it the Diamond and Pearl remake? Yes, yes. And we got into it, and it was he enjoyed it. Like he enjoyed the gameplay, mm-hmm. but we were like, "There's a lot of reading, and yeah. you can't read." <laughs> so that was a problem. Well, I will say because you say that you know Bradley cannot read, but he wants to play Pokemon. That's how I learned to read. Oh, okay. So, and that's kind of how my son got really, really good at reading was that he kind of already had like, you know, he could spell things out and it would kind of take him a while to read, but he kind of had the basics. Um, And then over the summer of 2020, right, where we didn't have Mm -hmm. anything else to do Mm -hmm. and I was Mm -hmm. being extremely lenient with our screen time restrictions in that there were basically none, right? um, basically letting him, you know, play video games all day long. And he really got into Pokemon Sword and Shield. And he played it so much. And you're right. There's a lot of reading in this game. Like a lot. There's no voice acting. So if you want to progress at all in the story, you have to read all of the dialogue. Um, 
he played it so much that he started reading faster and faster and faster and got really good at it. And that's kind of where I was when I was five years old. And my, no, I would have been four um, when my grandmother got me a purple transparent Game Boy Color. Oh, man. Yeah, with Pokemon Gold version and gave it to me. I started playing immediately was like, I cannot read at the level uh, that it is required to progress Mm -hmm. in this game. So I was completely just pressing random buttons and like hoping something (laughs) worked. Um, But eventually, because I was really motivated to play this game and like experience what the game was about and get better at it, I kind of picked up things and started to get better and better at it. And through playing so much Pokemon as a kid, I got much faster at reading. And so that, I feel like since I had that experience of learning to read through playing Pokemon, that helped me be a little more open to the experience for sure. my son. Be like, hey, it worked for me. All right, play Pokemon and learn to read. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, well, again, that's another thing we'll have to give another try because it's been it's been a little while and mm-hmm. at least six now, and he's probably old enough to get into that. He can read a little bit now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, which, which makes it a lot harder. I, this is an aside, but I taught him how the speedometer in my truck works. Oh. So which was a mistake by is the way. Is he calling you out now? Oh <laughs> my goodness. You like, got a little little lawful good yeah, gremlin like in the your back car. seat police, I swear. <laughs> he just sits there and he's like, "Daddy, that sign said speed limit 45. So you can't go over the little mark this is 45 and I'll be on like 50 and he's like, "Daddy, the police are going to chase you." It's like, oh, "Okay." No. Okay. I get it. So, I've yeah, been there. Mistakes were made. Anyway, um so so you've been into it for a long time. Like, yeah. I mean, for most of your life, right? Pretty much my whole life, yeah. I remember, and I'm a few years older than you, but I got Pokemon, I think, Blue on the original Game Boy. Uh, you know, Not was, the color. No, no. Oh, no. The <laughs> old one that, like, there was no backlit screen. You had to get the little, like, magnifier thing that went on top of it. If With you the light to. on the back uh-huh. so you could play it in the car at night. <laughs> That's exactly it. Instead or of having to, like, wait, wait for a street light to, like, move a little bit. Um, That's a formative experience, though. I feel like that's, like... A, a uniting experience for like an entire generation of like oh yeah trying to play your game boy under street lights <laughs> oh yeah oh no it's it's really true and like you know they took 47 double a batteries and <laughs> size of a laptop but no that was a that was a big part of my childhood too and it was uh i don't know i it's weird to say it like taught me a lot but it kind of did not just mm-hmm. reading but just about I don't know, because we were getting into this time where video games were getting more popular. It was really becoming a thing uh, in the early, I mean, for me, it was the early 90s. And um, I don't know, it, it was, again, very formative because now everything is computers and everything is handheld. So I feel like as a kid, I had that experience that maybe even people 10 years older than me maybe not have had. Mm-hmm. It helps to build your like sort of digital literacy almost like helps you learn how to like navigate a digital space. And like it, something I think about sometimes is like video game literacy. Uh-huh. So like if you handed someone a video game and they'd never touched one ever in their lives, how quickly could they pick up on it? Yeah. Um. So I feel like it was a really good kind of stepping stone into learning how to like navigate a, even though it was only, you know, t- essentially 2d at the time, uh, like learning how to like navigate your little avatar in a digital space is really, really useful for that. And at the time it was almost like 
<laughs> you had to learn to deal with like frustration. And because, mm-hmm. you know, for those of you out there listening, you've never played like the original two or three Pokemon games. So like hard. red, blue, yellow, gold, whatever. Like it was not, oh, I'm going to play this. I'm going to win. It's like, I'm going to lose a bunch and I'm going to cry a bunch. And then <laughs> eventually like my little friends, you know, and it's always a funny thing. Cause like the, the whole premise is I'm going to walk around in this woods, in these woods, and I'm going to find this kid and I'm going to beat up his pets. And <laughs> I'm going to harass wildlife <laughs> <laughs> and, and fight children and take their money. Oh yeah. It was like, you know, the little bug catcher kids in the first like part of the game, like they look like they're four years old. Yeah. I think that the, the whole Pokemon franchise has done a lot of like trying really hard to make the premise of the entire franchise hold up to like modern ethical standards <laughs> where we're not just like running around harassing wild animals. And it's like uh, you, you can feel in some of the more recent games, you can feel them kind of grappling with that, like within the game itself, because some of it's sketchy at best. But <laughs> <laughs> like it's like seven year old pet fight club. Right. And, uh... Yeah. It's a little rough sometimes. <laughs> But, you know, this is actually a great time to be talking about this because the new game just came out. It was, mm. uh, what, Legends of Arceus? Legends of Arceus. Arceus. Arceus, it's it's another one of those things where everyone, like, the official materials call it Arceus. But everybody who's been playing Pokemon since 4th Gen originally came out, what, 15 years ago? We all say Arceus, and we've said Arceus this whole time, and it's That's a tough habit to break. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough to break. And I haven't gotten real far into it, but it's a lot of fun. The whole mechanics are very different than any other mm-hmm. like Pokemon game I've played. But, you know, I, I picked the and I don't I, I haven't played it even enough to remember all the names, but I obviously picked the plant owl. <laughs> uh, Rowlet. Rowlet. There you go. Yeah. And because uh, I have to stay on brand. Right. And, <laughs> and as much as I want the little fire or whatever it was. Uh, again, I've played like three hours and then bradley's like no i want to play minecraft so i don't you know it's fine. <laughs> it's fine that's i'm not bitter or anything um so that actually kind of leads us in of let's talk about plant pokemon mm-hmm. or so are they here's here's a real basic question are they still called grass type or are they calling them like plant type now they're grass type um some of the Pokemon types are a little bit inscrutable. <laughs> you know, like the the most recent addition to the lineup has been fairy type. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah, it's just, yeah. It, but, you know, some of it is just vibes purely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they're grass type, but then usually the Pokedex entry will call it something. It'll call it like the, I don't know the uh tree banana pokemon the Mm -hmm. flower pokemon which is meaningless it's complete flavor text it doesn't have any (laughs) it's like just pure flavor text right but but they are still called grass types so i prepared some really cool grass types to specifically look at with you so we could talk about how they tie into the real world plants that inspired the pokemon's design Okay, that sounds great. And I was, yeah, looking over some of your notes, and I'm really excited to talk (laughs) about these because uh, there's some, uh, you know, and you highlighted some things in here that were like, okay, here's some of the real world examples. And there's some weird stuff that goes along with it. So I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sometimes... you know, truth is stranger than fiction in, in a lot of ways. So some there's some weird plant stuff I'll talk about too. 
Yeah. So, you know, just kind of jumping right into it, we would be remiss if we didn't begin a conversation about grass type Pokemon with Bulbasaur. Um, the arguably, I mean, it's number one in the Pokedex in like the national Pokedex that includes yeah. every Pokemon of like a 200,000 Pokemon. <laughs> Bulbasaur is number one. So Bulbasaur was grass type starter from gen one it's just a sweet little froggy looking dude and has a big old bulb on its back um that has been described as an onion a garlic Mm -hmm. (laughs) just kind of has that sort of shape to it but as it grows um it evolves into ivysaur so i should explain if you're listening to this and you're not really familiar with pokemon um, as a Pokemon grows, it goes through these stages of like metamorphosis where its whole body changes and it takes on new types and new abilities. It can do new things. And that's just like its life cycle. Um, but they call it evolution. They mm-hmm. say it evolves when it a better word for it would be metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. But they use the word evolve instead. Um, so Bulbasaur evolves into Ivysaur where it has this pink flower on its back that's like what do you call it when a flower is like it's there but it's not open? It's like a bud or yeah, a, yeah it's like a flower bud, right? Yeah, so it's got this big pink flower bud on its back and then when it evolves into its final form, it's Venusaur and it has this big huge flat a five-petaled pink flower on its back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks a lot like this real-world flower called Rafflesia arnoldi. It's a good one. I and in that it's funny because I read some of these names, these uh like scientific botanical names, and I'm like, mm-hmm. who, who decided we all needed to say that? That's, <laughs> that's a fun one. Um Rafflesia, I think, is a killer name. I really like Rafflesia. Cool. You name it name a dog that. I would name uh, a DD character that. Oh, that is a good one. Like a druid? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I say that like I know anything about that, but <laughs> except for listening to starting to listen to the adventure zone a little bit. You're welcome for that. Oh, it's by the way, this is a shameless plug for another podcast <laughs> and I don't even feel bad. Uh, I jumped into ether on the um, adventure zone, which is a max fun podcast by the McElroy's and it's so much fun. I don't, I did going in and I keep like texting Ellen questions. I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. What's happening. Uh, but the storytelling's great. And it's yeah. so much fun. If you're into marine biology, it's a great, it's a great storytelling, like fantasy fiction. Very fun. Fun. Listen. Pretty cool. Yeah. So you have in your notes here that the aroma from Venusaur is pleasant. <laughs> so the Pokedex entry in Crystal Version specifically says that it has a pleasant aroma. And then other generations say in the Pokedex entries that the flower's aroma has a soothing effect on both people <laughs> and Pokemon. So the idea is that this Venusaur's flower creates this very nice, like, therapeutic smell. But from what I understand about Rafflesia Arnoldi, that does not seem to be the case. <laughs> not not so much. They call it the corpse flower. Um, <laughs> for a reason. It smells like a dead guy. <laughs> and uh, it's it grows in a place that bees and butterflies and other pollinators are not real pleasant or real present. So it smells like decomposing animal matter. Uh, because it's pollinated by flies. Oh. And 
flies like dead stuff. And so they, you know, they feed on their saprophytes, uh, uh, saprovores. So they feed on like decaying plant material, animal material, and even the color. Like if you look at it, it's sort of like a red brown and it's sort of gross, but it, it's this fascinating coevolution with, you know, we have to be pollinated by something. Mm-hmm. The only thing around is a fly. We should smell like a thing that a fly wants to eat. And look like it too. That is yeah. like very uh, all-encompassing mimicry. <laughs> and and you know we'll get into this more as we go. But th- we actually just talked about flower structure in my horticulture class not too long ago as we record this. And I was talking about corpse flowers and all mm. these different things and just the relationships between plants and their pollinators are really fascinating. Yeah, because this is like they're like, hmm, we can't go the route of making ourselves pretty and smell nice. (laughs) So instead, let's make ourselves look like, look and smell like rotting meat because you're playing to your audience. All right. You got to know your audience. Know your audience. (laughs) And and I also want to point out that this is a huge flower. Mm. Like they are anywhere between three and five feet in diameter sometimes. So they're huge. Have you ever uh, seen one in person? I have not. I have seen um, similar like species of of succulents and some of these tropical plants. I've never gotten to see one in person, but I would like mm. to. Do they smell like that like all the time, or is it just like a? It's just the just the bloom, right? Mm. So the plant itself, not so much. Um, but as it uh, as it blooms and when it's really like pollinating and at full maturity, then it does. Another thing that's interesting about corpse flowers is they produce their own heat. Oh, wow. So flies and a lot of other, um, you know, uh, carrion insects actually look for heat sources as they're looking for decaying animal material or, mm-hmm. or meat. So to mimic that, not only does it look like that and smell like that, it's actually usually warmer warmer than the ambient air temperature mm. because it wants to, like in that infrared spectrum, still attract insects in another way. That's so cool. Just not too long ago, we talked about on our podcast, we talked about vulture bees, mm-hmm. um, bees that, you know, they don't pollinate flowers. They they don't, you know, use, uh, is it the nectar? They don't use nectar mm-hmm. to make honey, uh, but they, they do eat dead and decaying meat. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, I, I don't quite remember off the top of my head where the vulture bees live. I think it's in South America. I think that's right. But I wonder if there's some overlap between their ranges. There might be. I'm not that's sure. Cool. There'd be a really confused bee. Like, wait, wait, wait what's happening? <laughs> oh, I've been duped. <laughs> this was not an antelope. I don't know where antelope live. I'm, I'm a plant guy. Not there. Okay, great. <laughs> Perfect. This is going real well. Well, I, I should also say before we move o- move on from Venusaur and the corpse flower, there is <laughs> within the same generation of Pokemon, within the same 150, there is another Pokemon also based on the same flower, and that is Vileplume, um, which also, I mean, basically looks like Venusaur, but without the big giant toad part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's got the big corpse lily flower, but then the bottom of it is just like this little, like black, like kind of amorphous almost body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to know why they decided to do two corpse flower Pokemon, <laughs> like straight out the gate, right? Like just this was right off the bat, the first batch of Pokemon, and they're like, we need two of these. <laughs> 
and I feel like Oddish is really pretty early in your uh, uh, Pokedex too. Yeah. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, they were. It's like right just, in that first little forest area. You know, if you've got good source material, just, just <laughs> if it if it ain't broke, just uh, why fix it? Right. True, they're and, really and, leaning into it. And I would say that almost the flower on a vile plume looks even more like the Rafflesia than the uh, uh, Venusaur does. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were really focusing on that one more. Yeah, I think so. So also within the first generation of Pokemon games, there was Tangela, um, which <laughs> I always like hesitate to say the name Tangela out loud because I, I'm pretty sure the Pokemon's name is pronounced Tangela, but I have met in real life a woman named Tangela. Huh. Angela with a T on the beginning. Uh-huh. And now every time I see it, I'm like, am I supposed to say Tangela? <laughs> I don't think it? I am. It's got to be one of them. I'm pretty sure it's Tangela because it's supposed to be like tangled because the Pokemon looks like this little mass of just knotted tangled vines. Mm-hmm. So um, this Pokemon was probably based on sargassum uh, seaweed mm-hmm. where it like washes up on beaches and clumps. And then this has inspired a lot of like sea monster, like folklore, um, but like sea, you know, seaweed <laughs> creatures yeah. that come up out of the water, especially in Japan, right. Where Pokemon was made. So you can see a lot of like uh, comparisons with seaweed there, but personally, and this is literally just me. I also <laughs> think Tangela reminds me a lot of tumbleweeds. Um, oh, yeah, I could see that. Because it's just a big ball of, you know, tangly plant matter, I guess. Th- mm-hmm. This leads me to my question, what is a tumbleweed even? Like, I <laughs> really don't know what they are. <laughs> so they're they're pretty much just what they sound like. So there's a number of actually uh, genera and species of what we commonly refer to as a tumbleweed so one of the most common ones and especially like when you think of like a western and the tumbleweeds like blowing across the open plains or whatever um which by the way we have these a lot here in texas where i live like we'll have fence lines covered in these things um is uh calitragus the russian thistle so it's a it's a annual like shrubby we call it a weed but you know it's just a plant you know, mm-hmm. a, a weed is just a plant that we don't want around. Um, <laughs> it's a perspective thing. It's a perspective thing, right? And uh, they can get somewhere between three, five, sometimes even a little bit taller, like three and five feet, sometimes even a little bit taller. And essentially, this plant grows, it flowers, it goes through its whole life process. But there aren't a lot of animals that will, like, feed on the seed and spread them around or anything like that. So the adaptation that they have is that they break off at the stem because they typically live in windy, open places. They're prairie plants in general. Um, And then they just blow around. And so they, as, as the seed matures and as those flowers dry up, the rest of the plant does too, they break off at the ground and they blow across the plains. And as they roll, they drop seeds. And so their dispersal method is just to roll around for a while. And then eventually seed ends up different places. You get more of them and then they spread that way. That's interesting. I like that they have kind of removed animals from the equation. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, y'all ain't pollinating us. We'll do it ourselves. <laughs> and you No, know, that's exactly right. And you get some weird adaptations like this, especially in um, very dry climates where Insect and animal populations are pretty directly related to rainfall and seasons and stuff like this. And sometimes the plants are well-timed to that. But on a bad year, 
that plant still has to figure out how to sp spread seed, right? And so they're probably largely um, self-pollinated or wind-pollinated. So the, the pollen just blows on other plants. And then, yeah, they break off. They uh, blow across the open plains and drop seeds everywhere they go. I don't think this is a plant that occurs naturally in Japan. Um, Probably not. <laughs> I'm, but, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, every single Pokemon is only based on things you find in Japan, right? Sure. Like we just talked about corpse flowers, and I don't think those occur in Japan either. I don't um, think so. <laughs> so the, the inspiration was probably more from these, like, clumps of seaweed that wash up on the beach. I just, I feel like having, being familiar with tumbleweeds, I can't look at Tangela and not think that's what that is. No, I see that for <laughs> sure. For sure. There's a little bit of a departure from the source material, but um, I figured this was a good a, a good excuse for me to ask what a tumbleweed is because yeah. it's one of those things that I've just never really figured out. Um, yeah. So another thing that I think Pokemon is really good at is incorporating carnivorous plants into their designs, which uh, people who listen to my podcast will remember you came on and we talked a lot about carnivorous plants. Oh, we talked about carnivorous plants here um, yeah, on yeah, your yeah. podcast. So Pokemon loves carnivorous plants. Uh, you can see some really cool designs. The first of which is also in gen one. So they were really having fun with plants in they gen were. one. Um, there's a lot of like the people that design the Pokemon come from ecology like backgrounds like a lot oh, of them cool. are like come you can tell in some of the ways that some of the mechanics of the game are designed that like somebody was bringing some real world ecology knowledge into this yeah um this goes back to like the fact that uh satoshi tajiri who like created and started pokemon was inspired by his childhood spent collecting bugs so he spent his whole childhood going out and catching bugs and being like really inspired by real world entomology and stuff. So like you can see that love for nature really come through in the Pokemon designs. So the carnivorous plant Pokemon, uh, starting with Bellsprout, Weepin' Bell, and Victory Bell, which are Pokemon where for Bellsprout, like the whole body is really just kind of this wispy vine. And then the head of it is this big bell shape. And then it, as it evolves, that bell takes over, kind of <laughs> really becomes the focal point of the Pokemon. Or by the time it gets to Victory Bell, you know, it's pretty much just the bell. It doesn't even have that body anymore. Yeah. But they're very much uh, based on pitcher plants, which we've talked about before. But I, of course, am always happy to talk about pitcher plants because we <laughs> have them here where I live. And I that's can so go cool. out and see them. It's so cool. They're they're fascinating, and uh, yeah, we've talked a, a couple of times before about the weird relationships and how, like, oh, we may not have great roots, or the soil is not great where we live, so we're just going to eat stuff. <laughs> That's Why not? A, a different protein investment. Um, yep. <laughs> so what what's really interesting is that so like in the real world, you know, the pitcher plants the bugs and its prey kind of falls into it it's got slippery stuff so the the mm -hmm. bugs fall inside and then it digests the prey so the pokedex entries des describe victory bell as attracting prey with a sweet honey which i'm going to assume is something like a sap you know like it's it's not a 
bee, but <laughs> yeah, right. It's like some sort of sweet syrupy sap thing. But something really interesting that was only ever mentioned in the ruby and sapphire and Pokedex entries say that it flicks the vine on top of its head and uses hmm. it like a lure. So I've seen animals do this, like snapping turtles will have a tongue that they flick around like a lure. Um, there's a snake that has the end of its tail looks like a spider and it waves mm-hmm. it around to like look like a spider and and lure in birds. But I've never heard of a plant using motion like to attract something to it. I've never That's heard it. of that before. That's interesting, and it's probably they're probably not doing it in an active sort of way. Mm. But uh, there are plants that have flowers on long stalks or different kinds of structures on long stalks that'll blow around in the wind. There's uh, a plant called Gara, um, Gara Lindheimer, I believe, is the um, scientific name. And in the native forms, um, they call them dancing butterfly because these plants put on these long, thin stalks with little flowers that look a little bit like butterflies. Now, whether that's to actually attract pollinators or not, I, you know, it, it may or may not be. I think it's probably just to get the flowers up above the level of the grasses that they grow around. Um, but the motion probably is an attractant in some ways. And more than actual motion, I think coloration and some of the other stuff is how usually plants are attracting their pollinators. And we talked about the, the corpse flower and the weird stuff it does, but there are plants um, some orchids, some other flowers that essentially put like runway lights, on, <laughs> like on the flower itself to show the insects where to go. And, and this way. <laughs> yeah, it's this way. The, the, the part you want's in here. And like, and, and I, you know, there's no way to show a picture on a podcast. I may share some pictures when I share this, but there are plants that have actually UV like coloration. Because a lot of insects can see in the UV spectrum. So when these pollinators are coming in for a landing or whatever, there are literally patterns on some flowers that lead them into the center of the flower in ultraviolet spectrums. And so just fascinating adaptations. Secret code. Yeah, that, that you know, us big hairless apes can't see. We're just like, pretty flower. And the bees <laughs> are like, no, 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 you're missing it. There's instructions. They're written right there. It's like, you know, Nicolas Cage is going to go start investigating this soon. <laughs> it reminds me of like uh, when you were a kid, uh, they would sell those little markers or pens that would write with like invisible ink yeah. that you could see when you shone a black light over it. And you would like write stupid little notes to your friends <laughs> like you were on top secret business. And no one will ever know what's on here. Nobody would care to. Why would they? No. <laughs> No, nobody cares. And that was the funny. Like it was a big deal. Like, oh, this I can keep my secrets. My mom can't know. It's like, and your message was just like, hi. Like, it's nothing important. <laughs> Never. But but it was the it was the it was the dynamic of having some sort of secret information. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So aside from the pitcher plants, uh, there is also Carnivine, which is a Gen Four Pokemon. I personally think Carnivine is the ugliest Pokemon design ever made. Oh, I hate I Carnivine. Carnivine is terrible. It's so ugly. And I'm kind of like, oh man, why'd they have to do my Venus flytrap friends like this? Because it oh. just, yeah, no, it's not good. Oh, it looks no, that's so bad. really unsettling, actually. Yeah. Um, so Does all it of, fly? No, it, it doesn't fly. fly um, oh, okay. But they're quite mean in Pokemon Ugh. Legends. So if you're listening to this and you haven't played Pokemon Legends Arceus, here's the thing. The Pokemon fight you, and Carnivine is really mean. (laughs) (laughs) 
I haven't gotten there. That's, ex- so that's ex- kind like of exciting. Running through this swamp, and there's this giant Venus flytrap monster like chasing you down. He looks mean. <laughs> he's mean. Yeah, he's not not a friend. Um, but he's based on a, on a Venus flytrap, and there wasn't a lot to say about this Pokemon because it actually really doesn't come up that much. It's kind mm-hmm. of one of those Pokemon that's like it's there, but nobody uses it. It's not particularly good. It doesn't evolve into or from anything. So it's kind of, it feels like a filler Pokemon to me, you know, like yep. it doesn't really do a lot. Um, but I did want to say that all of its Pokedex entries do also reference a sweet smelling drool Ugh. that it uses to attract prey. I know this is even worse. Nothing about it is good. Um, but that's Man. very similar to Victory Bell, you know. So yeah. both of these Pokedex entries are are referencing, you know, the carnivorous plants and the way that they kind of draw in their prey. I don't, is this a thing for Venus flytraps? Do they like use some sort of chemical uh, lure for their prey? They might to a certain extent. Uh, some of it is also coloration, so they're mm-hmm. eating a lot of flies and stuff like that. And the inside of the pad is sort of a a deep red color. So, Mm. you know, it probably attracts it like a lot of these carrion flowers do. Uh, And they have these little trigger hairs on them. And the it's like a bear trap, right? So the two pads are locked open with hydrostatic pressure. They're full of water. And an insect has to touch like a trigger hair on each pad within a certain amount of time. And then it snaps shut. But Mm. if like the insect's too small and can't hit all of them, the, it takes a lot of energy to close it and reopen it and make new pads. So they only want to trigger it when they're going to get enough of a meal. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I I almost wish that they had done more with the Venus flytrap concept. Yeah. Um, it's then, really cool. It is. It's so cool. And I don't know. Carnivine feels a little bit like a letdown. I'm like, oh, man, he's ugly and <laughs> his stats are bad and nobody uses him. So, you know, I wish they had explored the especially because the corpse flower got two Pokemon instantly. Yeah. Like right away. We need more for the Venus flytrap friend. Yeah, um, maybe maybe the next generation. Yeah. Um. So I was kind of surprised that those were really the only two carnivorous plant Pokemon that I could find. I kind of wish that there had been like a sundew like pokemon yeah, or, those are neat. yeah something really cool but those are the ones i could find um a little bit of a letdown because i feel like they could do a lot with carnivorous plants so hopefully maybe the next generation maybe we'll get some more cool carnivorous plants yeah i hope so too um so this is probably a good place to take a quick break yeah uh, i remember to do this sometimes i usually don't and usually I'm just listening. I'm like, uh, here's a place where we stop talking. I'll throw in. <laughs> but we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And then we're going to talk about tree Pokemon, flower Pokemon, and then some fake stuff that just got made up. Fake news. Well, hey there. Welcome to the Mineral. Fancy meeting you here again. You doing all right? How's your week going? How are you enjoying the episode so far? Hasn't it been so much fun? I promise that we will slander more Pokemon just as much as we did Carnivine in the second half. I promise. It's great. You're going to love it. So, a few things. First off, have you connected with Planthropology yet? You really should. We're all the places on the social medias. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Search for Planthropology. It is Anthropology with a PL slapped on the front. And uh, look for the green background with the bristlecone pine. And that's me. And you should follow and connect. You should also join the Planthropology's Cool Plant People Facebook group. It's Really wonderful. Lots of fun stuff. Um, Bonuses and new content and stuff directly from the TikTok machine, which, by the way, I am at the plant prof on the TikTok machine. You should follow me there, too. 
um, information about new episodes, polls, all kinds of things. You should be a part of it. It's a lot of fun. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way to do it is to tell a friend or to rate and review the show on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you can. I would really appreciate it so much if you would just take a couple of minutes out of your time to to go and do that. Now, does it help in the rankings? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Depends who you talk to. But it makes me feel good and gives me the warm fuzzies in my heart places. Also, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology and make a small donation. It helps keep all of this running and on the air, and I will use it to buy coffee, which keeps me um, you know, from punching people in the morning and out of prison, which is a nice thing for me. I want to talk more about Forest Proud, our newest partner. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode and all episodes for the next three months or so, which is really very exciting. And uh, they're a nonprofit whose mission is to build awareness and support for keeping forests as forests to fight, fight climate change. So really, they are just trying to target probably a lot of y'all and me, 18 to 34 year olds. I'm one of these for the next, I don't know, four months or so. (laughs) But across the sectors, across different parts of society to really talk about why forests are important and how we can combat climate change through good forest management. So whether you're an industry professional or just someone listening to this show who wants to learn more about how to save the planet, head over to forestproud.com. Look them up as at Forest Proud, all the places, usually hashtag, hashtag Forest Proud. They're really very well branded. And if you go on their website and you want to order some swag, use the promo code Planthropology at checkout for a 10% discount on all your gear. Also, thank you so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show and uh, making all this possible. Literally could not do it without the support of my university, my department chair, and my college. Okay. The other thing is at the end of every month, I'll be doing Q&A episodes. So keep sending in questions. I've got a few banked from February, but if you've got more that you want to ask about the show, about the partnerships, about anything else that goes on here at Plantropology, send them my way. I would very much like to cover your topic. And um, what else? Is there other things? Yeah, there probably are, but I'm just going to skip back to it. So first, you're going to hear a trailer for another great PodFix Network show, which, by the way, thanks to PodFix for letting me be a part of it. Um, But here's a trailer for another great show called Love These Mother Daughter Talks. It's really a delight. And then we're going to get back to it and talk about face bananas. Okay, here we go. Ever wonder why your kid won't listen? Ever wonder why your mom is so bossy? Well, we do all the time. That's why we created our podcast. Love These Mother Daughter Talks with Bryn and Flynn. Through a series of open and honest conversations, Flynn and I hope to deepen our understanding of each other and help other parents and children deepen their understandings of what goes on in their day-to-day struggles. (laughs) And more. We are officially now on the PodFix Network. Also, find us anywhere you download your podcasts. Hey, Flynn, I love these mother-daughter talks. Me too. Let's see you on our next episode. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed whatever it was that I said to you during the mid-roll. I probably played a trailer. It was tra- hilarious. It was oh, well, thank great. you. Gold thank content. You. I appreciate it. Um, so, tree Pokemon, what's next? Okay. So, right off the bat, let's talk about Exeggutor. <laughs> Back, back in Gen 1, once again, great generation for plant Pokemon. Um, Exeggutor. Okay, so first of all, Exeggutor evolves from Execute, which uh-huh. is just eggs. It's, it's just a bunch of eggs. The design is some eggs. And like and half of them are broken? I don't they're, know. They're pink. They're also like 
psychic for some reason. <laughs> this Gen 1 was experimental. <laughs> what can we get away with? What weird yeah. stuff can we put out there? So exec- Execute is kind of the poster child for like when people are complaining about like, oh, the modern generations have such tired designs. Like, oh, the new Pokemon designs aren't even good. Execute is always the one people point at as like, well, look what Gen 1 was working it's with. It's just eggs. <laughs> it's some eggs. Um, and so inexplicably, some eggs evolve into a coconut tree. <laughs> why not? I have looked and I cannot find a solid answer for why some eggs turn into a coconut tree. Maybe it's because the eggs kind of look like coconuts almost. Yes. It's inexplicable. Um, but so even funnier than the fact that some eggs evolve into a coconut tree that's also psychic for some reason, the Alolan form of executor. So this is a thing where like, New generations usually will be like in a new region of the Pokemon world. And sometimes in these different regions, existing Pokemon will be there, but they look different or maybe even have different types, right? Like some of them will have completely different typing. Um, They'll be essentially a different Pokemon, but it's, it's just like a regional form of that Pokemon. The Alolan form of Exeggutor, which Alolan, the Alolan region was very much based on like Polynesian islands. Hmm. It's like Hawaii, very Hawaii inspired. Um, The Alolan form of Exeggutor is just regular Exeggutor. They took its head and just like, stretched it straight <laughs> up and just like go go gadget necked like just stretched <laughs> it out like bubble gum and so it has this like incredibly body still same size yeah head still same size just a long neck just a neck that is like 10 times the length of the body um and it's also dragon type for some reason who knows why <laughs> Can't he's quite a long figure neck, that one so out. He's a dragon now. Yeah, I mean, he also has like a tail and, and like is it, but otherwise unchanged. So huh. this one is is a a little bit of a conceptual mess. But <laughs> you know, Exeggutor is literally just a coconut tree. So this led me to think like I was really trying to think. I was like, now is it a coconut tree or is it a palm tree? Because we have a lot of palm trees here, um, but our palm trees don't have don't grow coconuts on them. So mm-hmm. I was like, is it a coconut tree or is it a palm tree? I didn't realize that like coconut trees are just types of palm trees. Right. I didn't know this. I don't okay. know anything about the palm tree world. What they've got going on? It's a little weird, actually. Yeah, they're they're weird plants um, for sure. Yeah, so coconut palms are a yeah, specific kind of palm, and that's where, like, you know, um, some palm trees we get palm oil from, from the fruits. We get dates from date palms. We get coconuts from, you know, coconut palms. And there's a wide variety of things that we get from palm trees. And uh, they're interesting plants. A lot for, So for a long time, people said – they're a tree. And then they're like, no, they're not a tree. They're a big grass. Hmm. Okay. And the truth is somewhere in the middle, actually. Love it. <laughs> so they're not a tree. They're not a grass. But they have characteristics similar to both. So they're a, a, what we call a monocot, which means that the seed only has one part. So the coconut is a big seed. You can't split it in half. So like a dicot would have two parts, like um, like a lima bean. You know, you can mm. kind of split them into, into two halves. Right. Uh, so most of our grasses and stuff are monocots and, you know, bananas and um, corn and a lot of other things. So they never grow like wood 
like a tree does. You know, mm. they're kind of spongy. The way that they're organized is different, but they're not growing in like bundles of leaves exactly like a grass does. So they they kind of split the difference sometimes. Like if you took like a like an oak tree and you took the grass in your front yard and you put them together, it's not okay. This is, there's at least <laughs> one plant person out there like stop saying these. You're saying words and you Nails gotta stop on a saying chalkboard. It. Oh, it's I'm killing someone right now. Some botanist is like screaming. Um but you know they share characteristics of what we would call a tree because they're upright they're dense, they're perennial plants, they live a long time. Um, but then they have some characteristics to other monocots as well. It's interesting, I, as you're saying that, I'm I'm looking to the side because uh, a, about a foot to the left of my screen is a window that leads to my front yard, in which I'm looking at about mm, four palm trees, like right, yeah. like looking at palm trees as you're describing this. And so I live in Florida, where we have many, many palm trees, but evidently they're not from here. Uh, they were introduced for the vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just for funsies. Just for the aesthetic. You know, it's funny because coconut palms and, and some other palms, but coconut palms specifically will end up weird places because coconuts float. Mm. So they're migratory. Mm. So that's another reason that coconuts are mammals, right? They have milk, they have <laughs> covered in hair, and they migrate. They migrate. Um, there you go. That's uh, all it takes, so- actually. Yeah, that's all it takes to be a man. Taxonomists uh, don't want you to know this one weird trick. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get canceled by so many scientists for this one. Um, but yeah, no. So Biologists hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for good reason. It's, t- to be fair, you're right. Um, so it's it's an interesting plant for sure. And they don't come from eggs. But, you know, I guess I can kind of see it. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the the them floating explains how you get exeggutor on the islands of Alola, which, you you know, are way out there. So you get the same Pokemon as on the mainland. It's just, you know, all the way out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. 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 Same kind of thing. It makes sense. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Sure. So aside from exeggutor, the coconut tree, there's another really cool, there's plenty of Pokemon that are kind of like tree inspired, but a lot of them are just kind of like general tree, you know, like they don't, I couldn't really find one particular real world like plant to that they were based on. Mm-hmm. But there's one in particular that I love this Pokemon Tropius. Um, Tropius is a Pokemon from the third generation. So Ruby, Sapphire and Emerald, which were like the, most formative generations for me because that Mm -hmm. was right when I was at the perfect age to be completely zeroed in on Pokemon. Like I had played gold and silver and crystal and I was pretty into them, but by gen three, I was old enough to really get it. Like I was Mm -hmm. old enough to start being good at it. Right. I didn't just have like a team of like every fire type I could get my hands on. (laughs) I like, I I finally actually had an understanding of how to like build a team and progress and, and actually get, get better at the game. So Gen 3 had Tropius, which is still one of my favorites. It is if a dinosaur, so a sauropod, right? A, one mm-hmm. of those dinosaurs that has the long neck and the long tail and the four legs. So little foot from Land Before Time. If a sauropod was cosplaying as a banana tree. <laughs> so it has like its body is brown and then it has these underneath its chin. It has like a a bunch of bananas of bright yellow bananas underneath its chin and it has giant wings that are shaped like the leaves of a banana tree which 
is kind of an odd choice. Sure. But I could see where they were going, right? Like the leaves of the banana tree do look kind of like they would make a cool like wings for something. Yeah. I don't know why they decided to put that on a dinosaur. I'm glad they did, though. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it, and it has, like, four wings, kind of like a dragonfly. Yeah. Like, and and the there's a picture I'm looking at of it in the air. Like, it's supposedly flying, and it's, like, fat little legs are, like, curled up. I and know. It's, the, it's, like, <laughs> it's like they took a blimp. <laughs> put bananas on it it's delightful i love this Pokemon. I, every time i play back through a gen 3 game i make sure i pick up atropius on my way through um i have like the perfect like image in my head i could draw it of the route where you find tropius oh that's cool <laughs> i i was really obsessed with those games but so okay so the reason i wanted to talk about tropius is that tropius has these bananas under its chin they are very much the modern bright yellow banana that Mm -hmm. we eat that you could go to the store and pick up um but my understanding is that that is not how bananas naturally occur (laughs) yes bananas in their nate like natural form are really upsetting um (laughs) (laughs) because they're full of seeds uh and the seeds are like the size of coffee beans Mm. and so again I'll, i'll have to post some pictures when i when i post this episode but uh yeah so so like wild bananas, wild type bananas have lots of seeds. They're usually smaller. They usually don't really get bright yellow. They'll turn yellowy brown sort of. And the animals that eat them don't care. You know, (laughs) they're still sweet smelling. They still like have a sweet flavor, but they're not like the banana, the, you know, big, your curved yellow fruit. We know and love for sure. Right. But we've made them this way. (laughs) We have. We have. And selection over thousands of years for, okay, I don't want to eat this banana with seeds. I'm going to pick the banana with the least seeds and, you know, so on and so forth. And eventually, we started just asexually propagating our bananas. So everything's cloned. They're all clones of one another. And we've run into some problems with that. Uh, In the 50s, there was early 1900s through about the 50s, there was uh, kind of the main banana on the market was called a Gros Michel which translates to Big Mike, Big Mike <laughs> Banana. And I, I, I don't know why, but that's what it was. And they well, were, Is this French? Like G-R-O-S? Yes, yeah, that means yes. fat. Fat Mike is even better. <laughs> <laughs> that is even better. Fat Mike. <laughs> fat Mike Banana. So dibs, if I ever like patent a banana, I'm not going to go with Gros Michel. It'll be Fat Mike. That's a Fat Mike right there. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> My next podcast is going to be called Fat Mike. Fat Mike. But like it's M-I-C, like a microphone. I dig it. <laughs> can, what, can your logo be like a banana that's a microphone? Anyway. <laughs> uh, so they were re- they were the big banana on the market. And then a disease called Panama disease, which is a fusarium, came through and wiped them all out. They were all mm. clones of, of one another. So all their genetics were the same. So if one's susceptible... All the rest of them are too. And uh, so now the banana that we know, and they looked a little bit different. They were a little bit straighter, um, sort of thicker and less yellow than the bananas we see today, which is the Cavendish banana. And it was bred to be resistant to Panama disease. Um, There are some new strains of Fusarium that we think are probably going to affect the Cavendish banana. In fact, uh, uh, Fernando Garcia, Dr. Banana Man on, mm. on Twitter, uh, researches this. This is, that's his, his thing. And 
Um, yeah, so the the modern banana is very much not what you would find in nature. I wonder, maybe this is something that has been explored in perhaps the anime that I haven't, uh, since I don't watch it, maybe I, I didn't pick up on this, but I wonder if there is some lore surrounding Tropius that mirrors, like, the human intervention on, like, breeding bananas. There, I, I, I would be interesting to see that. I see in your notes that the Pokédex, uh, Pokédex, po, po, whatever, <laughs> the, the thing that tells you about Pokémon, uh, that the bananas are edible. Yes. It's chin, it's chin bananas are edible. Yeah, I guess. And I think this is, this is, I believe, depicted in the anime of that people will just grab a banana right off of Tropius's face and eat it. And, you know, this is something cool that they can do in the Pokemon world, right? Because they can just make up whatever is that it's not, you know, harmful to Tropius. It's totally fine. You can just grab it and it's not a big deal. So I think this is interesting, like exploration of the, like getting, like using Pokemon as a food source without harming them. Because there's a lot of discussion about whether humans in the Pokemon universe eat the Pokemon. Um, I mean, they must, right? I would think so. <laughs> I would think so because they like eat meat in the cartoon, and they like yeah. they got to get it unless there's like just like regular cows somewhere that's, that they're just not telling anyone about. That's the big question: is where's the food <laughs> coming from? Um, but so I think Tropius is an interesting example of them trying to navigate like using Pokemon as a food source, but like without it harming the Pokemon. It's interesting that they would even introduce that concept. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's funny is, is as I was reading this, I was like, that's so weird. And then mm-hmm. as we're talking about it, I'm like, no, it's not that weird. Cause like, we, that milk, weird. we milk cows and we, sheer sheep and we get like benefits from the animals in our world and livestock in our world i don't think it's weirder than eating honey it's not it's not weirder than eating it's very much not (laughs) (laughs) if there was an animal that grew bananas out of its head and you could pluck them without harming the animal i would do it i would eat that banana (laughs) i'd eat his face bananas whatever (laughs) i totally would it's interesting yeah for sure um i'm gonna try to blast through these last two categories um okay because uh, I know we're coming up on time, but there are a couple cool Pokemon I want to talk about. First cool. up is flower Pokemon. We've got Hoppip, Skiploom, and Jumpluff, which I got to admit, I thought it was based on like cotton. And I was thinking about oh, this uh-huh. because there's a lot of Pokemon that are based on cotton. Actually, one of my favorites, Whimsicott, is a fairy and grass type. Um, oh. It's really super cute. There's not a, a lot to say about it other than it's based on like a little cotton puff and it's really cute. But Hoppip, Skiploom, and Jumpluff is based on the life cycle of a dandelion. So little Hoppip uh, has those jagged little leaves on top of its head that look like the little zigzaggy leaves oh, of a dandelion. Yeah. Um Skiploom, the next evolution, has a really cute yellow flower on top of its head. Um, and then finally it evolves into Jumpluff, which has these big, poofy, cottony, like, balls on its head and arms that look like the uh, the whimsical, you know, form of the dandelion yeah. when it's puffy and it's got the seeds. Um, and I don't, I don't really have a lot of understanding about the dandelion life cycle. Like, it is is it the same flower that goes yeah. from the yellow to the poofs? Yeah. So, so dandelions are perennial plants. They have deep tap roots, so they come back year after year. And those bright little yellow flowers are all connected. So, it's it's a composite flower. 
So each one of the petals on it is kind of its own individual flower that are all kind of crammed together onto the same face. So as that plant develops, it's pollinated, fertilized, all of that, what you're seeing, the the fluffy things, are actually the fruits of um, the dandelion. So Every each time indiv- I talk to you, I find out some something weird about fruit. <laughs> it's so weird. I know. It's that's always my, something weird with fruit. That's kind of my thing, apparently, and I'm just – I'm selling out to it. I'm the weird fruit facts guy. It's all fruit. Uh, it's all fruit all the way down. It's fruit all the way down. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, they're, they're called, uh, I think they're achenes. So it's like, um, similar in structure, like a sunflower seed Mm. and they're not really eaten by anything. The the fruits themselves. So they put on these little fluffy structures and they're carried by the wind. So just like our tumbleweed that we talked about earlier is sort of wind dispersed at a, you know, macro scale like the whole thing just takes off and rolls away Mm. uh dandelions since they're a perennial plant they stay put they let the wind carry off this the fruits and the seeds on these little parachute things how funny is it for them that they like evolved this mechanism to be completely like dispersed independently of animals like okay we don't need animals to disperse us anymore and then human children just happen (laughs) To see that and be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to blow all of the seeds out. And they're like, the dandelions are like, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I think about that stuff a lot. And this episode's going to be a little long and I don't even care because this is fun. Um, <laughs> I think about that a lot, how plants like develop things for some reason in particular, like peppers have capsaicic acid to kill insects and drive predators away. And people are just like, I'm going to put this on my hamburger. <laughs> like and- humans come across like whatever weird mechanism they've developed to help themselves thrive. And humans come across it. They're like, this is great. <laughs> I love this. Caffeine is the same thing. It's a, it's an insecticide in caffeinated plants or plants have caffeine in them. And we're just like, this makes me go fast I in the morning. love this. <laughs> This is awesome. And the plants are just like, what's happening to us? The plants are like, I mean, yeah, it's awesome, but it's not for you. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) It's like, I'm I'm doing this for me. This is my thing. (laughs) But yeah, I thought it was cute. I like the little dandelion Pokemon. Um, Yeah. So another flower Pokemon that I wanted to touch on is Cherim, especially because of its appearance in Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, Cherim... Uh, is a little cherry blossom Pokemon. So it has these two forms, has the overcast form where it, it's kind of its normal form that it's normally in. It's like cloaked in these dark purple petals. So it looks like this dark purple sort of bell shape. Mm -hmm. And then in sunny weather, it opens up and it reveals a really cute little smiling face surrounded by these bright pink petals that look like cherry blossoms, um, which are very, you know, common, uh, they're very like iconic plants, especially for Japan. Um, cher- cherry blossoms are a big yeah. thing, you know, in, J- in Japanese symbolism. And <laughs> the reason I say particularly because of its appearance in Legends Arceus is that until a little, maybe like a week or so after the game release, there was a bug in the game that made it to where if Cherim opened up into its sunshine form, for whatever reason, it was uncatchable. 
Oh, wow. And that wasn't like, that was a a bug. It was a mistake in the game. And so people were posting all over Twitter about like, I just wasted every Pokeball I've got (laughs) in my inventory. I used, I used every Ultra Ball I've got. I just used every Pokeball I had and I could not catch this Cherim. And so everyone's like, oh my God, I can't catch this Cherim either. What's going on? Why has, has anybody caught a Cherim (laughs) like in this form? And, uh, and eventually uh, they, they put a patch through and they fixed it Ah, but you could not catch Cherim in its sunshine form which was a little bit funny (laughs) i'm sure super frustrating for a lot of people though yeah certainly but so what's wrong with this thing so i thought that was interesting like pokemon does some cool things where in the game it really plays with the mechanic of weather um weather has some different effects on different pokemon there's other pokemon that change form based on the weather so cast form um is one that comes up a lot where Mm -hmm. it like, if it's sunny, it turns into a little fire, like a little sun. Mm -hmm. If it's rainy, it turns into a raindrop. Um, But Cherim is based on a plant uh, based on the flower, which I don't know if cherry blossoms in particular, but I I think they do. Cause I I know that around, is it in the springtime in Washington, Mm -hmm. DC, all of the cherry blossom trees like bloom and it's, and it's very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and it is pretty interesting, and they don't necessarily open and close or change forms like this, but it is sunlight that triggers, you know, the opening of a lot of these blossoms. But what's interesting is a lot of plants do go through these what we call nastic nastic movements. So there's different ways that plants, like, move, sort of. Um, And some people think of, like, so tropism is another form of plant movement where they're going to turn and move towards the sun. And that's usually overblown a little bit, but it's a thing that (laughs) happens Uh, or they grow in response to an environmental condition. Uh, Nastism is, or nastic movements are non-directional. So they respond to stimuli. So that would be like a flower closing at night. We would call that nictinasty where Mm. they close at nighttime and then they open in the day or vice versa. What's the flower that does that? The moon there's a there's a moon flower um and two or three others actually so um, morning glory is morning glory one of those that like that like closes up at night Mm -hmm. they'll close up at night and then as soon as the sun comes up Mm -hmm. they'll they'll open um and part of that is for pollination right the pollinators are most active during the day and so they're going to produce nectar during the day and they don't really want to do any of that at night so they close up it helps protect the flower and then there's some that that do the opposite so some flowers that are, say, pollinated by bats or moths or other insects that are active at night will close up during the day, and then they'll open up at night. And a lot of times they'll have this bright white flower that's really visible in moonlight mm. to uh, a number of insects and animals. Oh, that makes sense, because they would want it to be, I guess that's a different set of light entirely that you mm-hmm. need to really be focusing on if you're open at night. So there, there are several flowers that are pollinated primarily by bats. And, you know, bats are not as blind as people say no, they are. They're not. They probably, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but, you know, maybe see as well as we do, which in the grand scheme of things is not super <laughs> great. Like we both wear glasses. Uh, <laughs> now I'm thinking about a bat in glasses and it's kind of adorable. But uh, yeah, so they have these, like a lot of bat pollinated um, plants have big, bright white flowers that'll catch and throw a lot of moonlight and they smell like uh ripe fruit mm. have a really almost sickly sweet odor because that's what a lot of these bats are after they're after fruit and yeah so they'll go find the flower that's really interesting like i i like the way that the pokemon game like 
plays with weather effects and, you know, plays with that sort of, you can see elements from the real world, from like nature in the real world and how that actually plays out in the game by like Cherim switching forms basing, based on how the weather is. Yeah. And there's, and there's something I actually meant to mention earlier that still fits here pretty well. Um, and the way that flower, you know, you asked earlier if plants will move to like attract a pollinator and not exactly, but there are flowers that can like hear bees. Uh, it's weird. I know. I know it sounds weird, <laughs> but like they can actually sense the vibrations from the wings of bumblebees and honeybees hmm. before they land on the flower. Oh, like wow. If they're just buzzing around, just the air vibrations will trigger a response in the plant to start producing nectar. And hmm. depending on the type of bee that's about to land, some flowers can produce different concentrations of sugar in the nectar and things like that. Because some bees, like bumblebees, have like, re- like really, really sugary um, uh, nectar. And bumblebees will land on flowers and vibrate their wings in a specific way to get them to release pollen and things like that. So oh. some of these relationships are so incredibly complicated. And there's a lot of like communication going on that we have no idea. No idea. That's like uh, if you go to the same coffee shop frequently <laughs> enough, eventually yep. the barista gets to where they see your car pulling in the parking lot and they start fixing your order. They just start making So it. that when you walk in the door, your drink is on the counter ready to go. That is exactly right. <laughs> I love that. It's very cute. The bees are regulars. Oh, yeah. They're like, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's cool. He's cool. Um, so the last like category of grass type Pokemon I want to talk about are grass types. And yet they are based on things which look like plants, but aren't. They're not. Oh, They're fake plants. Fake, fake plants. Yes. So the first one is, I guess I should do these in generation order. Um, the first one is Lilip and Cradily, which were the mm-hmm. fossil Pokemon from Gen 3. You know, in a lot of the Pokemon games, you'll find these fossils, and at first you they're they're just an item that you have, but then at some point in the game you'll be able to process them in a way where they like extract the DNA from it and make a Pokemon mm-hmm. out of it. So in Gen 3, it was Anorith and I think Armaldo, um, that were Pokemon based on Anomalocaris. Oh, yeah, um, okay. And then the other ones were Lilip and Cradily, which were based on sea lilies which I had not really heard of, <laughs> but I was thinking about them. Um, so they're, they're called like, you know, I mentioned the Pokedex will have flavor text where it says like the such and such Pokemon mm-hmm. called the sea lily Pokemon. Um, their sea lilies are not lilies. They're, they're not plants at all. Oh. They're actually these types of echinoderms called crinoids. So echinoderms are like sea stars and sea urchins. So that's kind of what they're related to. Um, and crinoids are interesting because they have these like feathery arms, like tentacles with these sort of frills mm-hmm. on them. And then they're kind of all attached to a, like a body that's on a stalk. So it does kind of look like a flower because it looks it's on a stalk that looks like a stem. Mm-hmm. And then it's got this body that looks like, you know, petals coming out of, you know, the middle part of a flower. And it's attached to the seafloor or like rocks or coral or whatever kind of substrate they're situated on. And so it looks like a flower growing out of, you know, the seafloor. But it's, a, it's this little animal called a crinoid. And they they come from fossil Pokemon in the game 
but it's worth noting that crinoids are not extinct. <laughs> <laughs> Very real. We're still, like we're still, still here, here, guys. They're still here. Um, but I think in more recent games, you can find Lilip and Cradily just like out and about. Like I think okay. in Legends Arceus, you can come across them like in lakes and stuff. So I think that kind of messes up the timeline. That <laughs> 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 like the fossil Pokemon are now just like there. Yeah, um, they're just hanging out. Yeah, but but yeah, they they look like plants, and they're they're grass types in the game. I think they're like rock and grass type, hmm. which is interesting, but not based on plants at all. Okay, yeah, interesting, weird. I I don't have t- a ton to say about crinoids because I don't really get them that much. Obviously, <laughs> like I I mentioned, like I literally thought they were plants until like yeah. yesterday. Um, so the other fake plant Pokemon I want to talk about is Lurantis, uh, which was a Gen Seven Pokemon. Famously, uh, in Gen 7, there was the equivalent of gym leaders in that generation, which were like, I don't remember what they were called, like trial island, like trial captains or whatever. One of them had a Lurantis that was like really, really, really difficult to beat. <laughs> uh, so I get kind of flashbacks when I see Lurantis. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so Lurantis is based on the orchid mantis hmm. which are these really really cool beautiful ethereal looking mantises like a praying mantis they're like related to praying mantises well i guess they are a type of praying mantis yeah, they're related yeah. to the green european praying mantis you've probably seen uh and the orchid mantis mimics orchid petals in a really beautiful way they're usually like white and pink and kind of frilly looking they're they're gorgeous. so cool so yeah cool. have you seen them I have. I haven't seen one in person. Again, there's a lot of things that I would like to meet in person that mm-hmm. I haven't, but they're beautiful. Yeah, you were talking about orchids a little while ago. I've heard that there's kind of a back and forth between orchids and mantises and that they kind of play off of each other in interesting ways. Yeah, I think that uh, orchids are such a diverse um, kind of family of plants that their flowers are really strange and really unique. And they do have these interesting like coevolutionary relationships with mantids and bees and pollinators. You know, there's some that the, the um, anthers that contain the pollen on the orchid look just like bees. And so mm-hmm. bees will come land on them and like interact with them and then pick up pollen. And, you know, there's some that look like little people and mo- there's, there's one called the monkey face orchid and it's called that. And I'll send you a picture <laughs> Because it looks like a monkey's face. It does. It's really unsettling. Yeah. It's it's a little bit like for I know that humans have a tendency to look for patterns. Yeah. And and look for familiar patterns, right? So like we'll look for something that looks like a primate face. Mm-hmm. So like we're familiar with primate faces and we yeah. have a tendency to want to find primate faces everywhere we look. But that one feels like it's like this can't be a coincidence, can it's it? Like, man, you're doing this on purpose. You're trying to freak me out. <laughs> I wonder if it's like a protective thing where they're like, "Oh, humans won't eat something that kind of looks like a human." <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I guess it is probably just us. Like, what's that called? Pareidolia, where we look for faces and things. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. That one is like too close. It's like <laughs> too, too real. Too real, bro. Well, you start like side eyeing them. Like, are you? watching me to looking you, back at you like, quit staring at me i don't know it's weird <laughs> but so lorantis is interesting because it's it's very visually based on the orchid mantis mm-hmm. um and and i'm sure also you know based on actual orchids but lorantis is pure grass type and hmm. not a bug type 
which is really weird because they have the bug type. There are bug type Pokemon for Pokemon right that there. are based on bugs, yeah. but they just like chose not to use the bug type for Lurantis. I don't know why, uh, because it's pretty obvious based on the way that they look. You know, they've got like the bug shaped head. They've got the kind of like um, raptorial like, mm-hmm. you know, appendages, I suppose. Inexplicable. I don't know. I, You know, I, I as we've talked through this whole thing and that was kind of our last one. So we'll start wrapping up. But I like I would like to be in a pitch meeting mm-hmm. sometime at Nintendo as they're uh, developing some of these things like like. Some guys just like, hey, what if it had face bananas? And they're like, brilliant, brilliant. You get a raise. I do feel like, you know, the early generations were clearly, they were trying stuff out. Mm-hmm. Like, they were really like, what direction do we want to go with this? Where they were like, mm, this one's going to be a pile of goo. And uh, that's it. It doesn't have any, it's not a thing. It's just a pile of goo. That's its whole deal. And this one, when it evolves, there's just more of it. <laughs> Like there it's are a bigger m- pile of goo. There are like multiple Pokemon where their evolved form is just like a bunch of them. <laughs> That's so funny. Like Diglett evolves in a Doug trio. It's just like there's three of them now. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the you can see like as they get through the generations, they start to really incorporate some interesting real world biology concepts like photonastic responses mm-hmm. um, and mimicry between you know animals and plants and just I. I feel like there's some really cool stuff going on. You can actually like learn stuff about the real world through like playing Pokemon. It can be kind of difficult to sometimes parse like, okay, what of this is stuff they made up for the Pokemon world and what comes from the real world. But I feel like if you're interested enough to like start digging in and be like, huh, I wonder what that's based on. Maybe I'll look this up. And then you start to learn a little bit more about like, Oh, well this is from the real world. Like I, I think it's a great, uh, welcome that almost it's like a great front door into learning about nature for sure anything that gets kids and people asking the questions you know Mm -hmm. uh, if it if it inspires you to do a google search about i wonder what this comes from it's great it's great i think pokemon go is the gateway app into iNaturalist yeah i agree (laughs) I agree. It's like, what if I collected real plants? I'll do this for real. real I built my real life Pokedex. So funny. Yeah. Um, Well, that was a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoyed that. (laughs) Um, Why don't you plug your stuff one more time before we wrap up? Where can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm over at Just the Zoo of Us, which is our podcast that you can find pretty much wherever. Um, Our website, justthezooofus.com that will point you to, you know, if you don't know where to start, we got a lot of episodes. Um, so it'll give you a little rundown of like good places to start. You can of course start with Vikram's episode on plants, um, which I believe was episode 101. I think that's right. Um, so, you know, you can start there, start with plants and let that be your gateway into, uh, I'm not going to try to recruit people to jump ship and uh, dessert <laughs> and join the animal faction. It can be both. <laughs> Yeah, it can but be both. We so we actually don't usually we'll like mention Pokemon in our episodes. We haven't really leaned fully into doing a um Pokemon episode yet. But I was also a guest on this podcast called Creature Feature that is about animals oh, cool. where I actually did kind of get to really lean into Pokemon based on animals. Um and get to really like Doug I did like Garchomp and Marini and what was the other one Flygon. 
So, oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, like, if you really like that sort of like exploring the real world, uh, animal science and stuff that goes into Pokemon, um, that was a that was a really fun time. So, check out my episode over on Creature Feature. Um, yeah, we I usually talk about animals, but it's really fun to to talk about plants too because, like you said, there's a lot of intersections between them, and like learning how they interact with each other is always really really cool. For sure. And I'll link all that in the comments. Thank or you. Or in the, in the comments. <laughs> Whatever. Like you know and subscribe. What I mean. Like and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. <laughs> Hit that bell. Get notifications. <laughs> oh, man. The internet's ruined me. <laughs> um, Ellen, it was fun as always. Of course. Absolutely. It's been a delight. You can't get rid of me. I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm trying hard not to. <laughs> You're stuck with me now. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> Y'all, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this as always. And we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Hey, so uh, was that the most fun you've ever had listening to a podcast? It was maybe the most fun I've ever had recording an episode of a podcast. Y'all, I know that was a long one and I appreciate you sticking with it and you're welcome. Make sure to look up Ellen Weatherford, all the places. She is at Just the Zoo of Us pretty much everywhere on social media. She's really great. Really great. And um, it's a show you should be listening to. It's lots of fun. Thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science and to Forest Proud for sponsoring and supporting the show. This would not be possible without y'all. But really, thank you most to you, the listener. You know how much I enjoy doing this for you. And it's the interaction, it's everything else that comes along with it that really makes this a complete joy in my life, an absolute joy in my life. Like I said earlier, there is big stuff in store for Planthropology this March. I want you to be involved. I want you to just take part in all the fun. Share this with a friend. Rate, review, all the things. And uh, y'all, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good month. So get excited about the content coming up. Lots of tree stuff, lots of plant stuff, and lots of nerdy goodness. Y'all keep being really cool plant people. Keep being kind to each other. And if you haven't been kind to each other so far, maybe start doing the thing. You know I love you, and I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.